This message entitled The Light of Epiphany was delivered to Christ Our Rock Bible Church on January 8th, 2023 by the Reverend Roy D. Warren Jr. The scripture reference is John 1. All right. John chapter 1. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the scripture here today. You know, we know that you have a purpose in it. And every word of the Bible, you have a purpose in it. And I pray, dear God, that we would see that purpose here today of this first chapter of the Gospel of John. I want to thank you and praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to give you a little bit of an idea of where we are going, we're going to start in the first beginning beginning part of of John chapter 1. Okay, and then through the other Sundays that are in the season of Epiphany, we're going to see various things in the life and the ministry of Jesus that make him clear. These things manifest him. These things make him obvious. And the word I like, conspicuous. Okay, the, and, and, it's, and it starts with the light, which it does right here in John chapter 1. Have you ever wondered why not all the Gospels have any kind of Christmas story? Some do. Luke, of course, has a Christmas story. Matthew mentions, um, you know, the uh, Joseph and the angel coming to him and, and some of these other things. And so that's, he's got a Christmas story, you might as well say. Uh, and, and Mark, you think, well, you know, he doesn't really. Uh, but a lot of people say John doesn't either. And I beg to differ. <laughs> I beg to differ. I believe this is John's Christmas story. Okay? It doesn't involve angels in the sky. Not, and he's not saying that didn't happen. He's got a different way of putting it. Okay? He's got a different way of putting it. And, but it's still the beginning, which is Christmas. Okay? So this is his Christmas story. All right. Let's go ahead and take a look at this. We're not even going to try to get the whole first chapter under our belt. And we're not going to try to go verse by verse and cover everything. I want to be, I'm, we're going to have to, we've got what, seven Sundays all together, and this is one of them. Uh, we're going to have to, you know, skip around. And I'm not going to be all over the place. We're going to go in some kind of order, but we're not going to cover everything, okay? But the whole New Testament, well, the whole Bible, The Bible points to Jesus throughout the Old Testament, pointing into the New Testament. But certainly in the New Testament, it's all about Jesus and his ministry, okay? And the Gospel of John, like I said, most people think, well, he doesn't even have a Christmas story. Yes, he does. And this is it. In the beginning was the Word. Ho arche ho logos in the Greek. Ho arche, ho logos. Arche is the word for beginning, like archaic. Okay, get it? All right. Logos is the Greek word for word. Ho logos, or ho arche, ho logos. Ho, by the way, is the. <laughs> okay, it represents the the. So that's what we got from the very beginning. In the beginning was the word. Okay, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Quite frankly, that's a pretty good Christmas story. That's what it is. Amen? Doesn't mention Mary, doesn't mention Joseph, doesn't mention a manger or any of that. The other people do that. The other gospels do that. He's writing much later in time. And so he's speaking of it differently. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, the Word, Jesus, was not created. I should say the Christ. Okay? Jesus Christ was not created. Oh, he was born of the Virgin Mary. There's no doubt about that. That's crucial. We have to understand that. I've said that many times throughout the Christmas season. If you don't have him being born of a virgin, you don't have Jesus. He's got to be born of a virgin. Otherwise, he's the son of Joseph. And that's not going to save anybody. Right? He's got to be born of a virgin. The Bible said he would be. The Bible says he was. So there you go. No sense in arguing it. That's what happened. Okay? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived. Okay? It's a virgin birth. It's got to be. Without the virgin birth, you don't have Jesus. It's just as plain as that. As plain and simple as that. It's, it's absolutely true. Because without that, he's the son of Joseph. And it doesn't say he's the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. Amen? All right. Let's go a little bit further. Uh, I'm, I'm, you see what? That's the why I don't usually read these things. I have you come up and you read them because you'll just go ahead and go through the whole thing and read it, and that's what I should do too. But I have a tendency to stop and explain things as I go, okay? But it's, it's, I'll get back to it. Don't worry. I'm not skipping over it even by uh, looking at it now. All right, in verse 6 it says, And there was a man from God whose name was John. John. This is John the Baptist now. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, and all men through him might believe. We have a, we made up a t-shirt, and in my case, I have a sweatshirt that has this on the back of it. This is years ago, years ago, okay, years ago. It had this verse, okay, came for a witness to bear witness of the light, capital L, okay? And all men through him might believe. We were actually going through a time, not with somebody that was in the church, okay? But just in general. And, and there was an objection to seeing these things, I guess. And so that's why I chose this particular verse to go on the back of the shirts, and I still have that shirt. Just wore it yesterday. I was going to bring it and hold it up so you could see it. But you know what I'm talking about. It's one of the ones about Jesus being the reason for the season and 
so forth. But on the back, it said, he came to bear witness of the light. Who came to bear witness of the light? John. Not Jesus. John. Jesus is the light that he came to bear witness to. All right? Now, I'll tell you why I think God put this in here in a minute. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Okay. That was the true light. Once again, capital L. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave power, or uh, I'm sorry, received him, uh, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13, which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, the whole thing is of God. Okay? I mean, that's the essence of the gospel. That's the essence. This is, you know, but God used John the Baptist to get this point through. Okay, we'll come back to all this in a second. But there you have it. Verses 1 through 13 for now. Okay, praise the Lord. Father, I want to thank you, dear God, that you are about to make this crystal clear. You are about to manifest what this thing is all about. You are, you are about to make it conspicuous. And I thank you for that, Lord, because we need that. We need it to be that obvious, that clear, that manifested. And that's what epiphanero means. That, that's what epiphany means. And so we thank you for that, Lord. So open up our hearts, dear God, to truly hear from your heart here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. One pastor had a woman come to him for counseling one day, and she said, Pastor, I'm always so irritable, and I'm on edge all the time. After about an hour of listening to the woman's problem, the pastor suggested, among other things, that she cut out so much coffee, okay, and for heaven's sake, lay off the diet pills. The next week, he saw the woman again, and he asked her, how's everything going? Oh, she said, I don't really see a whole lot of difference, really. But I have noticed that since I cut down on the coffee and cut out the diet pills, everyone else seems more calm this week. Everybody's so much nicer than they were prior to last week. See, a lot of people are looking for somebody else to change. 
where God says, you know, we could use some change in you. <laughs> All right? All right. Praise the Lord. Sometimes we just need to begin to see things from God's perspective. How does God see what's going on? Okay? Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of the great godly pastors of yesteryear, was speaking to a large assembly of people. And after one message, two elderly ladies approached him and said, in a whisper now, Dr. Barnhouse, did you know that some of the young ladies here are not wearing stockings? They're not wearing stockings. Heaven forbid, okay? They're not wearing stockings. He realized that they wanted him to condemn this obvious affront to both God and Christianity by not having stockings, okay? But he didn't do that. <laughs> He's really setting himself up for a fall, but he didn't do that. And he said, well... That's quite interesting. He said, do, do you know that the Virgin Mary did not wear stockings either? See, they're picking on him for not condemning this, not having stockings, and, you know, a lot of other people didn't have it either. They weren't quite sure what to do with this little piece of news. That's right, Dr. Barnhouse continued. In fact, the first reference to any women wearing stockings was in the 15th century when some Italian prostitutes began to wear hosiery. Now he was really starting to step into dangerous waters, okay? Because he's talking to a couple of the matriarchal figures, okay? Just that in and of itself is dangerous. Then he said, women of royal blood in the Victorian era <laughs> introduced the practice and all upper-class women complied until at the end of that period, stockings became the attire of a prude. That's how they were, as a prude, that's how they were seen. He would later say to uh, somebody he was talking to, I don't really believe the ladies had any other question for me. <laughs> but it still went on. Certainly, there are absolutes in our Christian faith. But the truth is, there are a lot of gray areas as well, you know, whether somebody's going to wear stockings or somebody's not or, you know, this or that or something else, you know. The Bible doesn't try to cover absolutely everything there is that people make major points out of today. Um, this creates problems in the church today as it created problems in the first century church because everybody expects an answer. We'll turn to this scripture, we'll turn to that scripture, and we'll read things into them and make them mean this and make them mean something else and so forth, okay? Because we can make all kinds of things uh, about, you know, drinking alcohol or dancing or the, in fact, the early Christians, they wrangled over eating meat that had been sacrificed to the idols of the day or keeping certain Jewish practices as a prerequisite to Christianity. You know, some people were suggesting that you had to be Jewish before you could become a Christian. 
So they were taking proselytes, they were taking people who were not Jewish and not Christian, and they were forcing them to become Jewish first, and then they would go ahead and uh, present Christianity, and, and then they, they could then be Christian. It was a prerequisite for Christianity. I'm telling you, this, people will do about anything to get their way on this stuff. How do we know what to do in such instances? Well, I believe we can employ a few basic principles. First of all, uh, it is God who is the one who's to pronounce the judgments. You don't need this little old lady and that little old lady to pronounce the judgment. Did you know that they're not wearing stockings and blah, 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 you know? Second, we must be sure to do nothing that might cause another brother or sister in Christ to stumble, to fall. Thirdly, we must not do that which would cause ourselves to stumble or fall. Okay? Finally, we must realize that we owe to other believers a debt of love. To other Christians, love, not pick, 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 pick. You didn't hear the gospel. Let me put it this way. You didn't hear the gospel from nobody. You heard it from somebody, whether it was me or somebody in your earlier days, you know, before that, maybe in your family's first church or whatever it might be. But you didn't, you didn't come to know the truth or hear the gospel from nobody. You have somebody to be thankful for and to be thankful to. And in the area of Christian liberty, we really are our brother's keeper. You know, that's Cain and Abel. You know, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. We are responsible for giving them the truth. All right? And that doesn't mean just the little, you know, what everybody wants to hear. You know, it's important, I think, that the church take a stand for not only the truth, but it's also important that the church take a stand against those things that are false. Both are important. You didn't hear the gospel from nobody. Somewhere along the line, you heard about Jesus. And then you went, hopefully, deeper than that and, and became quite involved in the life of Jesus. So it's not just sometimes, but it's all the time that we need to have, see things and to have God's perspective and not other people's perspectives. Now, if somebody agrees with God and is presenting what God has to say, then that's all fine and good. That's all well. That's okay. And I think this might be why God starts out with this. Look at verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, the word, which is Jesus, the Logos, okay, was not created. Don't think for a minute that the Christ was created by God. Like God started out all by himself and then he made the Christ and he made the Holy Spirit. No, they were all there. And the Bible makes it clear they were all involved. All three of them were involved in creation. Just read the Bible. Just read the creation story and you'll see it clearly. 
And nothing was, nothing was created except that God gave the creation to both, or to both of his cohorts. You know, the Christ, the Holy Spirit, and of course God himself, the Father. Okay? Anyway, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, now watch, and without him was not anything made that was made. They were all involved in creation. See, we don't usually think of that. We think, oh, well, let's see. God did the creating, God the Father, that is, and Jesus does the redeeming, because that's the way it's delineated. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit does the sustaining. And that's all well and good. But this Bible right here says they were all there. They were all in on it. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is talking about the Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Katalambeno. It means to take eagerly, to seize, to possess, to apprehend. Okay? Praise the Lord. The darkness could not comprehend it. Couldn't get it. Didn't, didn't like it. Okay? Darkness wants darkness to remain. Let the light go away. Yeah, let the light go away. And such is this time between Christmas and Lent. Christmas ended here at the, you know, before the first, you know, you got your Christmas Eve and you got your Christmas Day and so forth. And then... We come into January, and we've got Epiphany, which, which technically started on Friday with the, you know, it's the 12th day of, of Christmas, basically, and that's what, you know, and, but the, and then that goes on, and it's all the season of Epiphanies after that. But there's a reason for that, okay? Epiphany is to look at the life of Jesus and make it clear, manifest it. Make it conspicuous, all right? That then makes it clear what Lent has to be about. Namely, Jesus coming to give his, his life. All right? Praise the Lord. Namely, Epiphany. To make something very conspicuous. Make it obvious. Make it totally manifested. That's what Epiphany means. Two Greek words, epi and phanero. We, you swing that together, spin that together, maybe is a good way to, to put it, and you get to make something conspicuous, obvious, totally manifested, okay? And this has got to have light to see where we are going. I mean, that's a journey now. We're going to, see, the journey doesn't stop. We talked about this, you know, Mary and Joseph making it on the journey, and they got down to Bethlehem, <clears throat> and it didn't stop. And then Joseph takes the family down to Egypt, and it didn't stop. And then Joseph brings them, excuse me, brings them back up to Israel, and it didn't stop. It's a journey, okay? Praise the Lord, okay? And you've got to have light to see the way. Obviously, without the light, you're going to probably stumble, probably trip, probably fall. Okay, so he gives the light, and he is the light. Now, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is take a look at some of the aspects of Jesus' ministry. 
In some cases, it'll be miracles. In some cases, it might be his teachings or whatever. But he's going to make something obvious, going to make something conspicuous. And that's what Epiphany is for. The only way you're ever going to hear about Epiphany in our culture is somebody will say, wow, I just had an Epiphany. You ever hear anybody say that? You know, not a lot, but I mean, you know, I just had an epiphany, meaning I had something that was made very, very clear to me. I, I got something. It's in my mind now, you know, and that's what, the, that's what the word is about, okay, to make something conspicuous. I like that word, so I'll use it a lot, <laughs> conspicuous, praise God, step by step and continuing all the way. We're not, here's the, here's the point, people. We're not done with the journey. You might have thought you were done with the journey when Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem. But you know that wasn't true because it continued. Step by step, on they went. And then the angel appears to Joseph and says, get them down to Egypt. And then when Herod died, get them back up. And then he told them, no, go, go back up into Galilee. And they ended up settling in the, in the town that they were actually had been living in, in Nazareth. Okay, so that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, why was that so important? I believe it was because it was meant to be a challenge to Jesus. Okay, a lot of people would not understand him. They would think, oh, well, you know, he can't be from Nazareth. We don't have any prophets coming from Nazareth, you know. Well, he wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, but he lived in Nazareth. Okay. Just pick, 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 pick. You know? That's what these religious leaders do. They just pick it all apart. And, and he, needed to, he needed to have that. Jesus did. Jesus needed to be picked on in order to continue to grow in his mind and his heart and, and know that he was meant for this. He would have to be picked on. And he was. Don't think that was... You know, God didn't plan for that. God did plan for that. All right? He planned for it. Okay. Now, in speaking of prayer in particular, but actually true in everything else, Spurgeon said this in one of his devotionals from the, you know, from the morning, morning by morning, Spurgeon's. Okay? He said, We may be certain that whatever God has made prominent in his word he intended to be conspicuous in our lives. I'll say that again, because it's crucial. We may be certain that whatever God has made prominent in his word, he intended to be conspicuous in our lives. You can't get any clearer than that. You can't get any more conspicuous than that obvious than that okay and that's what epiphany is so don't think it's some kind of strange word that we never heard before you have heard it before because that's the time period after christmas and before lent and it's there for a purpose it's there to make him obvious to make jesus obvious because if you start coming into the season of lent and you don't know who this jesus is you're not going to get it quite frankly you're not going to get it because he came to suffer and die 
He didn't come just to be Mr. Nice Guy. He came to give his life, to take away our sin, to give us life eternal. Praise God. He goes on to say that this year, uh, Spurgeon said this, he went on to say, this year, see, he's, he's writing this at the beginning of the year. That's why, he, this year, okay, get it? Okay, we must continue in prayer in particular, okay, but true in everything else. It's a journey. We saw this going back to Mary and Joseph. They had to journey to Bethlehem, then they had to journey somewhere else, and then journey somewhere else, and then journey somewhere else. The journey's not over, and yours isn't either, and mine isn't either. Amen? But if we follow Jesus, we get where we're going. We get where he intends us to be. Praise the Lord. Continuing the journey. Let me share, I got a couple of notes here that are for the scriptures that we just read. Okay, you ready? John begins his gospel by calling Jesus the word. I told you the Greek word was logos, meaning the word. Okay, the word. In using this designation for Christ, John presents him as a personal word of God and indicates that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Okay? The scriptures declare that Jesus Christ is the manifold wisdom of God and the perfect revelation of the nature and the person of God. And just as a person's words reveal his heart and mind, Christ as the Word, capital W now, as the Word reveals the heart and the mind of God. All right? John gives us three main characteristics of Jesus Christ as the Word. And here they are. Number one, you want to jot these down in your margins or on a little piece of paper or whatever, that's fine. Number one, the Word's relation to the Father. The word, which of course is the Christ, relation to the Father. Christ was preexistent with God before the creation of the world. God did not make him. Just like we say God always existed, Christ always existed. So did the Holy Spirit, by the way. Okay? The entire Trinity. We have a, he was a person existing from eternity, distinct from, but in eternal fellowship with God the Father. Christ was divine, the word was God, it says, having the same nature and the essence of the Father. All right? Number two, number two, the word's relation to the world, okay? You saw the relation to the Father, but now what about to the world? Well, it was through Christ that God the Father created and now sustains the world. And thirdly, thirdly, the word's relation to humanity. So you got to the Father, to the world, but now to humanity itself. The word was made flesh. In Jesus, God became a human being having the same nature as God, Okay, or as man, rather, having the same nature as man, but without sin. This is the basic statement of the incarnation. Christ left heaven and entered the condition of human life through the gateway of 
human birth. Christ was not created. He is eternal. And he has always been in loving fellowship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. True and genuine life is embodied in Christ. His life was the light for everyone. God's truth, God's nature, God's purpose, God's power are made available to all people through him. The light of Christ shines in an evil and sinful world controlled by Satan. The Bible does say that Satan is the God of this world. Okay? For a season. I mean, God doesn't just give it up. Okay? But for a season, Satan is the God of this world. All right? The majority of the world has not accepted his light. They haven't accepted his life. But the darkness has not comprehended it, hasn't mastered it, hasn't won it over. To avert any confusion now, watch this. This is amazing how God did this. Watch this. To avert any confusion, the gospel writer John makes very conspicuous the role of somebody called John, the Baptist. This is John, the gospel writer, different person, okay, makes obvious who John the Baptist is. Now, why does he do this? He's right in the middle of the Christmas story. I mean, he's telling all about this word, about this Jesus, and then all of a sudden he breaks off into stuff about John the Baptist. Look at verse 6, 7, and 8. Look at this. Why, though? We'll get back to it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, why does he do that? Why didn't he just continue on with the Christmas story? Why well, mention about John the Baptist? The same came, now watch, for a witness to bear witness of the light. It's because John was going to make clear that Jesus was the light of the world. See, some people were thinking he was. Some people were thinking John the Baptist is the Messiah. And he's taking a stand here and saying, no, that's not it. I'm here to bear witness to him. That's what it says on the back of that sweatshirt, people. Amen? And all men through him might believe. Okay? Verse 8. He was not the light, capital L. Right? He was not the light, referring to John the Baptist. He was sent to bear witness of that light. But I still ask the question, why? God, why did you insert this stuff about John the Baptist? You're not done talking about Jesus being the light of the world. You're not done with John's version of the Christmas story. Okay? Why insert this stuff about John the Baptist? Okay? And I think it was to clarify just that. That John the Baptist is not the Messiah. And it, that's what that says that people would then believe what he's saying. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. See, he's making... John, in writing all of this, is endeavoring to make it obvious, to make it conspicuous who Jesus is. And sometimes you have to make it clear who he's not. 
you know, this is where a lot of people are getting messed up today. They, they think that the church ought, ought to be all about, you know, nicey-nicey, tell the, tell the truth in the sense of Jesus is this and Jesus is that. But, you know, the truth also involves what Jesus isn't. And, the, and many churches, I think, are making a big mistake with that. They, they don't want to be considered judgmental. They don't want to be considered that they're coming against something that somebody else believes. Too bad. The fact is, the church is responsible for not only saying who Jesus really is, but also who he isn't. That's important, too. Because a lot of people are believing a lie today. A lot of them are. Got to make it clear. Not only who he is, but who he isn't. And the hour, quite frankly, is getting pretty late. Okay? I think that's obvious. You take a look at our society today, it's really going down. Really going down. And it's getting late. It's getting late. Our nation is, in the words of one cultural observer, slouching towards Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't think there's any doubt in that. I don't think there's any doubt in it. Now, alternative lifestyles are being praised, honored, glorified. They used to be kept in a closet. And then some people would break out and, ooh, you know. No, now it's, now it's just the opposite. It's being praised and honored and glorified. Slouching towards Sodom and Gomorrah. We can no longer sit back comfortably and say, there's always been, and this is what people do. I hear this all the time. People, we've always had a crisis in the world. And today is no different. This is what people are saying. Our society will go on and our country is basically strong and those who do so are, not, are, are only kidding themselves. Um, no, somebody's kidding themselves. But the people that make it clear what the sin is, they're not the ones that are kidding anybody. It's important that the true church stand for who God is and who Jesus is, but also to make it clear who he's not and what he's not. I think that's crucial. Pastor I know tells a story. He says uh, he had a friend, and as a young man, uh, he was given a 12 o'clock curfew by his dad. And his father told him, Jerry, you'd better be in by midnight by 12 sharp, if not, your hide is mine. He meant it. <laughs> okay, your hide is mine. Jerry said he got out with the guys one night, and before he knew it, lost track of time. I don't think he was trying to stay out beyond. He was trying to be bad or any of that, but he lost track of time, wasn't watching, and all of a sudden, it's almost 2 in the morning, and he was to be in by midnight. So he said he flew home, flew home, quietly unlocked the front door, took off his shoes. Now I know none of you have ever done this. 
took, took, tried to fool somebody, I mean. <laughs> uh, took off his shoes, okay, and, and began to climb the stairs, watching out for the ones that creak. Trying not to hit, you know, you know, hitting one that creaks so as to wake up his dad. As he took his first few steps, his dad's voice called out, Jerry, is that you? He said, yes, sir, it's me. And about that time, I mean right at that time, the cuckoo clock in the hallway began to chime. Cuckoo, cuckoo. But only two, because it was two in the morning. All right, only two. And Jerry said as he froze in the hallway, and just as clearly as he possibly could, he cuckooed 10 more times. He himself mimicked the clock, tried to, you know, so there would end up being 12, and that would be midnight, as though the father didn't even have a clock or a watch in his own room. <laughs> okay? There's no doubt that we are in a late hour in our history. The Bible even says it's near. It's close. Okay? And that was 2,000 years ago. So if 2,000 years have passed, guess what? It's really close. But that's not what people say about it. People say, well, I don't believe it. It said it was close and it hasn't happened yet, so it's never going to happen. The world's never going to end, etc., etc., etc. These people are misinterpreting scripture. They are misinterpreting God's heart. Okay? We're nearer to the coming of our Lord than we have ever been before. If 2,000 years ago Jesus said it's very soon, and he did, over and over again he did, okay? Then guess what? 2,000 years later, it's really soon, okay? It doesn't mean it's never going to happen. These people are lying. These people are not telling the truth about these things. His return is the last great event yet to come before the curtain of time is brought down. In this world of darkness, we are to be a light. Even as Jesus was, so are we, to a light to those around us. God is not fooled about the hour. Maybe his dad was fooled. I don't mean God's dad. I mean, you know, this boy's dad. Maybe his boy's, this boy's dad was fooled, okay? I don't, wouldn't know how it all worked out in the end. But his return, Jesus' return, is certain and it is irreversible. You might as well just know that right now. So let's, let it be clear. Jesus is the light. Back into our text. Look at verse 9. That was the true light, referring to Jesus Christ, okay? That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not, okay? This word for knew is the Greek word gnosko, and it literally means to be sure, to be absolutely certain, okay? You got to know that God knows what he's talking about. Verse 11, he came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, okay, 
To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Power. You know what power means in the Greek? It's the Greek word exousia. Exousia. Okay? And it means ability, privilege, force, capacity, competency, freedom, mastery, magistrate, superhuman, potentate, taking control of and delegated in, in influence. Power. Exousia. He gave him power to become, gave us that power to become the sons of God along with Jesus. Praise the name. It's all of God. The whole thing is of God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. The cross, I believe, makes Jesus' ministry look in the natural realm. As people look at it, they go, what a failure. Jesus, you really blew it. You didn't, you know, come on. You live for 30 years, you do a ministry, and boom, you're dead. You've been hung on a cross, and you're deader than a doornail. The cross makes Jesus' ministry look like a total failure. But really, it was the greatest success story ever. Because three days later, it, see, that's just it. It didn't end at the cross. There were still a few more steps to take. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, praise God, he took a few more steps. I, you can look at it as steps or he flew up out of that place. I don't know which. But praise God, he was in control. All right? A pastor that I, I know of says that there's no secret. Everybody knows me. They know that I'm a Michael Jordan fan. Okay, Michael Jordan, basketball guy, right? I don't believe there's ever been a better or a more complete player in the game, he says. I'm, I'm not, I don't watch any of this, so I don't know. Okay, but that's the way he felt about it. And he said, sometime back I saw a television commercial that made me appreciate his accomplishments even more. He said, now this is what Michael Jordan said. He said, I have taken almost 9,000 shots at the basket and missed. I have played in almost 300 games and lost. That's not what people think about. They think about all his successes and all the baskets he makes and all the games he wins and so forth. He said, my coach and my team have asked me to take the final shot that would have won the game 26 times, and I missed. I have failed in life many, many times. And then he added, and that's the reason I'm a success. That's the reason I'm a success. Paul is a biblical picture of all of this. A hero of sorts. I believe he could have made a similar commercial to what Michael Jordan said and did, perhaps even more dramatic than he could have done. Can you imagine? He, he could have said, I've been beaten more times than I can count. I've been 
in two shipwrecks. I've been run out of town. I've been lowered over a wall in a basket. I've been stoned and left for dead. And I was whipped within an inch of my life. I've been in more jails and dungeons in more towns than almost anybody on the planet. And that's the reason I'm a success. Paul was a pastor, I guess you could say. He was an evangelist, but a pastor as well, because he started many churches, came back to those churches. He was a pastor besides the evangelist, okay? A Christian under a new covenant. He was a preacher, and he was a pioneer. But he never boasted of those things. He did not boast of those things. Instead, he boasted of the power of Christ as it was displayed in his own weakness. Imagine that, boasting in weakness. Paul knew better than to boast about his accomplishments. He would speak of nothing but what Jesus Christ had done for him. He knew Jesus did not say, without me, you can do very little. Jesus did not say that. Instead, he says, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Paul was not displaying false humility. He was just stating the facts. All that he had ever done was through the power of Christ alone. And he knew it. He knew it. It is only by the true light that that can be clearly seen. It is, it is how he manifests himself, how he makes himself conspicuous. It's not to get people to praise him and throw, you know, wreaths to his, you know, get a, get a crown on his head and all of that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. No. It is how he manifests himself, how he makes himself conspicuous and obvious. And I'm talking about Jesus because it's Jesus in Paul that was conspicuous. It's not Paul. Everybody get that? Okay. It's not Paul. It's Jesus in Paul. Glory be to God. So let him be conspicuous in your life. Amen? Paul did. And he's calling for all of us to see life the same way. Amen? Praise God. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this day. We know, dear God, that you have a purpose and a plan for these things that we speak of here, that we talk about. And you, Lord, will have all the glory. Hallelujah, dear God. We lift up your holy name. We want you, dear God, to be praised and glorified. We do not want to get that glory in our own uh, strength. We, we want everybody to know that we've let Jesus into our hearts. And that's how we're able to do what we do. Praise the name of Jesus. And I want to thank you for that. Help us to see that in these coming weeks. This is only the start of it. What are we going to see the next time? I pray, dear God, open it up to our hearing, to our understanding, and you'll have all the glory. You will have the glory, dear God, not us. We praise you. 
In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.